you're listening to Payments Innovation, a podcast dedicated to helping business leaders navigate today's global digital economy. Looking to learn about the latest innovations within fintech and payments? You've come to the right place. Let's get into the show. Welcome to another episode of the Payments Innovation Podcast. This is your host, Brady Burkett. Today, we have on the show co-founder and CEO of Alpaca, Yoshi Yokokawa. Welcome to the show, Yoshi. Thank you very much for uh, having me, Brady. Absolutely. Uh, we're really excited to, to have you talk to our audience today. You know, not only is Alpaca a, a really cool company that we're definitely going to learn a lot more about in our conversation, but you sit in the investing world um, and we're recording this just a couple of weeks after you know, Robinhood and meme stocks and GameStop kind of took over Twitter and, and Reddit and was everywhere. So, you know, definitely want to dive in there and understand um, from you uh, where you're sitting, kind of what happened and, and maybe talk about the market structure that allowed that to happen. So Yoshi, if you wouldn't mind for our audience, could you give us a background, you know, a little bit about your professional life? What led you to found Alpaca? Sure. I started my career at investment bank called uh, Lehman Brothers. That doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> I started uh, structuring subprimes and uh, uh, asset-backed securities, credit derivatives. Uh, that's my really original speciality. And after that, um, I did day trading myself, uh, learned a lot about uh, retail brokerage business that we are currently in. And then like I did with the uh, you know, same co-founders, two different companies, Computer Vision and uh, AI Prediction. And then uh, we started our uh, Alpaca.Markets, that business that we're doing, which is a, a commission-free API uh, first broker dealer. Like the, when we really started this, uh, uh, we didn't find any really good interface to the capital markets or U.S. stock market uh, for developers. So that's a problem that we really wanted to solve uh, by building uh, what we are building right now. So can you can you talk a little bit about what you found and led you to build that? Like, who was out there that needed that API uh, connectability? What what types of players in the market were you looking to serve? Of course. So when we were uh, working on a deep learning prediction models for you know capital markets and trading, uh, we were working with a number of uh, banks and the dealer desk and trading firms. Uh, that had to connect into the uh, broker-dealer uh, interface because they had their money and their securities in the broker-dealer account. So which means that as a technology company who's building prediction models for them had to work uh, with and try to figure out how to connect our models into the broker-dealer interface, which is, of course, via API. And then we found out that how not user-friendly or developer-friendly that was amongst uh, all the broker dealers we had to deal with. Uh, in order to even get uh, like some kind of API document, we had to look for the people to have the access to that and like you know, make a request to even see the documentation, get like you know, you know, a few months to six months process of uh, getting approval to get some kind of production key. Uh, there's just so much friction that you wouldn't expect if you're coming from pure like technology field. So that is really the pain point that we ourselves experienced uh, dealing with the uh, uh, broker dealers that exist uh, before we started Alpaca. So that really this problem came out from ourselves uh, when we started this. 
And and just to clarify, Alpaca is a registered broker dealer. Are your clients typically also registered broker dealers, or do you kind of have introducing broker model as well? So we uh, work uh, in a very multiple layers of infrastructure. So our goal is to create you know very flexible API stack. So uh, the like you know companies who are very much regulated in like you know certain countries. Uh, as an introducing broker or like, you know, any developers, you know, who, like, you know, even college students, like, you know, who want to play around with the API to build some application or uh, trading algorithms, uh, you know, they can use that as well. So we want to make this as flexible as possible without really specifying specific use cases and limiting that capability. Got it. So it sounds like you, you kind of have a number of different customer segments. You mentioned um, folks who are building an, an interface on your APIs, whether they're domestically, or you also mentioned overseas, or, or someone looking for a programmable way to, to trade. And I'm, I'm curious, Yoshi, where, where did the name Alpaca come from? Yeah, so when we started this, uh, because like, you know, I, I am not a tech founder, uh, my co-founder is a tech founder. It's very much, uh, he comes and our team comes from database heavy background, like very much infrastructure and backend. And I always felt that uh, we wanted to put like some kind of lively feeling to the technology. So we were thinking either animal or apple, and we found alpacas uh, being pets uh, in this humongous house in the woodside uh, Silicon Valley. So we thought that, okay, this is the symbol of the wealth. So that's how we started thinking about alpaca to be a great name for our company. Yeah. So, so the users of alpaca will, will be successful trading and be able to buy their own alpaca one day. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> as pets, right? Yeah, that's going to be that's going to be great. <laughs> yeah. So it, it's a really interesting platform, a couple of different uh, segments that you're, you're targeting. You know, one thing that, that you and I have talked a bit about previously is um, your approach to get international brokers, uh, international introducing brokers outside the U.S. to use Alpaca to offer U.S. equities. Can you talk a little bit about that market dynamic? Number one, you know, how, how challenging is it today to even facilitate something like that? Um, and number two, why exactly do folks uh, want to get into the U.S. market when we might not see the reverse um, where, you know, U.S. users aren't necessarily clamoring to to invest outside the U.S.? Sure. So I think like you know, difficulty definitely comes from the you know, regulation. Uh, uh, you know, each of the country and jurisdiction has uh, each own in, uh, individual uh, independent uh, uh, regulation, which doesn't mean that they're very different, but like, you know, it's governed by different uh, regulation and government bodies. So that creates uh, you know, a lot of complexity. Of course, like, you know, as an alpaca, we are a uh, uh, registered broker dealer under the U.S. regulation FINRA SEC, but it doesn't mean that we're regulated in different places. So that creates a lot of, uh, you know, com- complexity and like, you know, figuring out things, uh, you know, how, how we work. So that always, um, creates a lot of hurdle to do the business outside the United States. And, and also I, I feel like the, from the U S of businesses, overseas broker dealer in the U S is a U.S. businesses have tendency to, uh, you know, focus on the U S market. And I think it's very natural uh, because the U S market is the biggest market in the all over the world globally. And uh, you know, that that's a natural thing to do. And uh, uh, so I think that is also the kind of emotionally, mentally priority becomes uh, the U.S. instead of the non-U.S. Uh, sector. So I think that's a, a kind of answering to the first question. 
And the second question is that um, I personally don't feel that like non-US is the like emotional hurdle simply because uh, you know I'm not from the United States. Like you know, I'm originally from Japan and uh, uh, working in the US, uh, which gives me really this advantage to understand how it's like to be outside the US and trying to access the US capital markets. Uh, and especially stock market, seeing the product of Apple, Google, Tesla, and all those things, that's all you know, US stocks. Uh, and as a, as a you know, Japanese, it has been extremely difficult to have access to that. Um, you know, obviously, online broker dealers have been very legacy and uh, don't have a great UI or UX to, uh, to access those things. And when, when the Robinhood launched um, six, seven years ago, uh, I was like, well, uh, well, that's really cool, but obviously I cannot have any access to the Robinhood app. So that's extremely frustrating. So I understand that uh, even in Japan, uh, you know, we had this problem. So it is everywhere a problem, uh, not like only Japan, uh, it's everywhere in the uh, outside the US. So that really excites me personally, because it's really solving the pain point that I had for whole my life, looking at how can I do this in a very easy way? And I'm super excited to be involved in this, uh, you know, Alpaca's business. We're trying to create the base and the foundation uh, to solve this in a really mass scale. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, there, there's a number of things going on. I, I think, you know, from, from the U.S. side, and most of our listeners to this show are based in the U.S., so it might be hard to kind of um, imagine the, the, the factors that, that are leading to folks outside the U.S. wanting to invest into the U.S. I think, you know, a lot of companies that were founded outside the U.S. wind up listing in the U.S. You know, Shopify is a big example. They're like Canada's biggest fintech company, um, but they're listed in the U.S. So U.S. investors can buy Shopify stock very easily. The other thing that we see in the U.S. is foreign companies kind of list and I don't know the exact term for this, Yoshi, so help me out here, but they list kind of alternative shares through U.S. firms. Yeah, ADR, um, you know, yep. Yep, yep. So a lot of Chinese firms are listed that way. Mm. Can you talk about why that doesn't exist uh, or, or, or even, even if the ADRs do exist outside the U.S., you know, for example, to buy an Apple share in Japan, why is it better to get directly into the U.S. market to, to own that share directly? I think it's really the um, uh, confidence reason and the popularity reason. I think it's the same thing as, uh, you know, like I, I remember like, you know, a few 10 years ago, there's a book called like, you know, Soft Power by Joseph Nye. It's, it's really about soft power, uh, you know, US as this brand of the products, music, movies, uh, you know, same thing now, like, you know, the, the stock market. And especially looking at Elon Musk and Tesla, that itself is a brand. Not only the car is a brand, but like, you know, stock itself is a brand like Bitcoin, like asset class itself is a brand. So that only happens in the U.S. stock market because, uh, you know, that is the center of the, the source of the media, source of the uh, whole uh, information that's coming from there. So I think that has a very different uh, context and feeling having the ownership or having access to that world and, uh, uh, and the assets that, that's there instead of. Uh, having some kind of a synthetic uh, exposure to something that's uh, from the U.S., is, but I said it's better to have the direct exposure to have something that you really think that's cool uh, and own it instead of uh, having the synthetic way to own it. Yep. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. 
And I, I want to come back to that point um, and get into kind of this meme stock rally that we saw uh, <laughs> definitely. A, a couple of weeks ago. But before we go there, just just, you know, definitely want to understand more about Alpaca's model, business model, revenue model. You have this API uh, accessible infrastructure where you let folks build uh, algorithms or, or front ends on top. Uh, could, you, could you give us a sense kind of where your biggest um, market segment is? Are they the, the college kids building algorithms? Are they the overseas brokers getting into the US? Are they other types of, of businesses? Can you give us a breakdown of kind of where you're seeing the market move for Alpaca? And then um, give us a sense of, of how you're monetizing. You mentioned you're commission-free. We, you know, we, we heard that, that Robinhood's commission-free, but has some other incentives going on. So can you give us a sense of, of what Alpaca is doing there? Of course. Uh, so in terms of the uh, customer segment, I think it's a little bit different question if we frame it in terms of like where the revenue is coming or like where the users are coming. So our, we really focus on uh, building the developer community. So it's super important for us to make sure that uh, like, you know, students or uh, like is a hobbyist can build and like, you know, start quickly doing something with it, uh, with our product, regardless of it's a commercial purpose or just, you know, playing around purpose. Those are all equally very, very important uh, for a platform and for a product, because we believe that that really sparks the creativity and that creates like, you know, much more use cases and uh, different ways to um, uh, create access uh, to the uh, U.S. stock market. So that has been a very, very important focus for us uh, to uh, when building this product. In terms of like real business, of course, uh, you know, we see uh, a lot of uh, customers from the uh, more of the professional traders, like active uh, quant hedge funds type of the, uh, you know, funds uh, trading with us uh, in a very, very huge volume. At the same time, we see, uh, you know, the, the actually licensed companies uh, outside the U.S. as a broker dealers and other licenses to use our API. So both of them are equally extremely important for our business to become uh, very important in, in this sector. So that would be the question to the first one. And uh, uh, sorry, answers the first one. And in terms of the uh, uh, the revenue model, uh, yeah, so yes, it is commission-free, same as Robinhood or any other broker dealers these days in the US, but uh, all of us do have the, uh, you know, uh, the systems where we receive uh, rebates uh, from the market makers uh, that work uh, directly trade with the exchanges. So this is called payment forward flow. Uh, and also we make money on the a uh, little bit different than markup on the you know margin lending and we make money on the uh, uh, you know interest on cash deposits. So it's a pretty typical way for US broker dealers to uh, make money from the uh, trading volume and the assets that's sitting in our custody book. Got it. Yeah, so so definitely want to touch on um, a couple of those things you mentioned. Um, cause they kind of, they, they, they kind of, um, gained popular awareness, I would say, um, over the Definitely. last couple of weeks. So, so Yoshi, w- would you mind giving a background? I'm sure a lot of our listeners are, are familiar with what happened, but, mm-hmm. um, could you kind of give us a, an insider's background of, of what happened, you know, specifically thinking of GameStop, AMC, some of these other rallies that that took place um, over the last couple of weeks and, and made a lot of headlines. Sure, sure. So I think like when um, what's not really visible to the um, everyone, including myself as a user, is what happens after we 
click, uh, you know, I buy Tesla stock. There's a two things happening behind the scene. One is uh, executing that trade. And another thing is clearing that trade. And, uh, you know, first one, executing the trade is really to trade that uh, position or stock at that, at that time, at the right price, at that timing, and like, you know, who actually trades or buys or sell it. So that's really the uh, trade execution. And uh, of course, like, you know, that execution ultimately happens at the uh, exchanges. It's like including NISO, and that's like, the ones that, you know, we've all heard about. But those are not the only exchanges uh, that exist in the United States. There are about like 50 exchanges in the United States uh, that act that way. So that creates like this complexity and the um, like, you know, the, and the players that comes in as a market makers, uh, basically that they are the players that consolidate all those trades into one place so they can be a hub uh, to work with those uh, many, many end exchanges. So that, um, you know, broker dealers like ourselves don't have to have a relationship with uh, all those uh, numbers of the exchanges and like, you know, make, uh, make this whole thing, uh, you know, much more difficult to start. So that, that's how it actually works. And that's called basically trade execution. So most of the broker dealers uh, uh, send the orders, uh, not directly to the exchanges, but to the market makers who consolidate firstly all the trades and then distribute out to the uh, exchanges at the very, very end. So uh, that's what's happening on the trade execution. And another thing is trade clearing. And trade clearing is this is uh, uh, really the promising and making sure that if I buy some stock, I have sorry, I, if I let's say sell stock, I have to receive money back because like I sold something, and someone has to guarantee that that actually happens. And this process is a, a clearing of the trade. And right now, uh, in this settlement process, takes two days. And that, you know, people start, you know, saying that it's a T plus two, like, you know, actual what things timing that actually happens plus two days. So it's a T plus two process to actually move the money from the buyer to the seller. And that process is called trade clearing. And this is the cause of the how the Robinhood or any other broker dealers basically, uh, you know, had to stop uh, those uh, trading uh, in the middle because uh, this this uh, settlement process creates the uh, deposits, uh, required deposits, and the required deposits change around based on the uh, volatility of the certain stock in the market. And that's calculated based on the uh, you know, var value at risk. Uh, you know, there's a, a calculation into that, but like that, that is basically the cause of that, uh, what happened. And, uh, you know, and that also, like, I think it's important to kind of separate the two things that's happening, that's trade clearing and the trade execution. Got it. So you mentioned... VAR or, or value added risk, who, like who, who tells Robinhood or, or any other broker dealer, uh, how much is it, is it, do they have to post collateral? Where do they post it? Like what kind of what, what's happening from the regulatory perspective? Is it, is it the market makers that are, are dictating these things, but how, how does all that work in the background when we start to see these crazy rallies in, in relatively I guess, low value uh, stocks like GameStop. Yeah, so it's really not about like, you know, value of the stock. It's really about the volatility of the movement of the stock. Because like when the uh, things move around, which means volatility is high, which means that, um, for example, like, you know, if that, let's say $1 billion is traded, let's say, and which means that like in order to 
guarantee that the one billion dollar amount of the money will be settled in T plus two, which means like you need to, in a very very like ideal world, if you had the one billion dollars sitting in that things or like actually moving forward um, uh, to guarantee that like actually money moves and settled, if you had the actual like original amount of one billion dollars sitting in the collateral, that would basically makes it extremely safe, right? Like logically, but but like you know that's pretty impossible. So that's why like they came up with this uh, basically volatility based approach. If that you know stock really doesn't move, like you know, why would you need that whole one billion? Maybe only like ten million would be sufficient because looking at historical uh, like you know volatility of the market, like you know you wouldn't need the whole thing to be guaranteed this whole money movements of settlement process. But like you can just have like you know very very small amount. But like you know that calculation is based on the what happened in the past. So, so that, you know, the past calculation does change if something new happens. And that's what happened, you know, a few weeks ago with the certain stocks, like, you know, that, that did change. So like, you know, that calculation of, okay, this doesn't move anyway. So like, you know, the amount should, can be very small to the, oh shoot, like, you know, this is actually moving, moving like really, really a lot. Uh, so we, which means that this small amount actually not going to be enough uh, based on this uh, calculation and equation that we've been using. Got it. There's a lot going on. And, and I, I think it's become clear now that, you know, a lot of the conspiracy theories that were floated around that, that Robin Hood got a call from King Griffin at Citadel um, probably didn't happen. It, it had a lot to do with this, the, the collateral requirements to be able to accommodate that T plus two settlement time. Did Alpaca have to suspend trading in any securities? So, you know, we did uh, send an email that like for certain securities. And also for the, uh, I think T plus two discussion is actually very interesting because, uh, you know, with the, you know, currency cloud business as well, cross-border payments, I think mm-hmm. that's also like, you know, movement of money happens, right? Like, you know, actual money moves from the one country to another. And I think that's super interesting, like, you know, how you are thinking about that too, uh, when you are uh, uh, doing that business, because that's also a risk uh, and like, you know, guarantee some kind of a speed. And then like, you know, there's settlement risk you know, happens there as well. So I, I feel like, you know, this movement of money from one place to another continues to be a discussion because I don't think this is only the securities industry, but it's also the whole moving around the money industry, which is like whole fintech industry. Yeah. It, and obviously there, there are kind of like different currency cloud, you know, you mentioned we, we face this with foreign exchange trades or payments and, and we do our best to kind of um, cover the gaps to make the user experience as seamless as possible, uh, whether that's managing our own treasury in a way um, or just making sure that our technology integration points to other partners can execute as quickly as possible, given those constraints. Well, do you think there are realistic solutions that, you know, I'll, I'll ask you specifically about the trading world, uh, like realistic things that that the regulator or market makers um, can implement to, do, do you think we need to, to take a look at T plus two? Um, what, do, what are your thoughts there? Yeah, I think like, you know, it's going to be always uh, uh, the process that people will try to improve this because it was pretty, until pretty recent, it was T plus three and it became T plus two uh, pretty recently. So there's always, uh, you know, work uh, that's happening behind the scene among the regulators and a uh, uh, lot of industry players, how, you know, this can be shortened up because that's everyone's benefits. Uh, if it's shorter, uh, you know, everyone will, can, you know, need like l- less risk to take and that's uh, benefits for everyone. 
Um, but like in order to make it completely instant, that's a very different story because it does take time for money to move. Um, like when we are even like, you know, sending the money from me to, you know, my parents to like even in the same country or even within the same bank account, I'm sorry, like in the same bank, it's not like truly instant. So there's always a time delay uh, because of the system, because of the latency and everything. So in order to really revolutionize that, uh, I'm not sure if this approach of like, you know, pushing one by one uh, uh, to making it like, you know, faster and faster would actually, you know, solve that unless we have some kind of revolutionary technology that everyone will adopt right away. Yeah. Well, I think um, the CEO of Robinhood started talking about um, decentralized systems and, and blockchain yep. technology. Do you, do, you think, do you think that's like realistic, a realistic part of the trading world um, in the future? Yeah, I, I, th- I, I don't think that's really only the, in my opinion, um, trading world. I think it's really about the ledger management, in, like about any money movements, uh, because mm-hmm. this is not about the trading. This is just simply moving the money uh, from one place to another. Uh, even though that's connected to actions of the buy and sell securities. But in reality, this is just moving movements of the money of the settlement timing. So I think it's just, uh, you know, we can really nail, like narrow down the focus to, I don't know, like if the blockchain technology actually works or not. But like, you know, I do hope that it will actually work someday to, you know, solve this problem. Yeah. I mean, it's exciting to think about. And, and obviously, being in the payment space, um, there's already a few a few projects that are kind of developing that use case. So you know, it'll it'll just be an interesting thing to watch. Maybe we're a, a, at least a few years out from really understanding um, the the true capabilities and impacts it'll have. But it's it's certainly you know something to to get excited about. I, I want to come back to to one other question. W- one thing that you mentioned, I had a question about. And then, you know, we'll, we'll start to uh, wrap up and, and get your thoughts on some other things. But you mentioned that Alpaca, similar, similar to, to Robinhood and a lot of other retail trading apps, uses a market maker um, and you guys get a rebate from a market maker. I think this is one of, it, it's, a, it's misunderstood by the general public. You, as a reader uh, of, of Flash Boys by Michael Lewis, um, I think a lot of people see it as a one-sided benefit where the, the market maker, the high frequency trader um, rips off customers. But I understand there's a bit of nuance here. So can you, can you talk a little bit about um, obviously how the market maker um, is, is enabling platforms like Alpaca to offer zero commissions, but also you know, how those prices ultimately, like, can, can, can you kind of explain the whole dynamic? Sure. Um, both, both good and bad for both sides. Sure. Yeah, I, I think there's a definitely like one-sided conversations happening. So I actually like, you know, for uh, Alpaca, uh, for the new members to join, uh, we uh, send out the kind of recommended books to read. Uh, that includes, of course, Flash Boys, uh, because it's really fun and easy to read. Uh, but also there's a book called uh, Dark Pool, uh, which is written by Scott Patterson. Uh, that really talks in a more true journalistic way of how uh, the whole this uh, payment order flow and the rebate system was born. Uh, and that's really interesting and more, I feel like, you know, kind of neutral way instead of like it's a good or bad. It's really more like, you know, how this is how it works. 
and this system was born because of certain things. So I think if for the for the listeners or uh, anyone who's interested, I think like you know that book would be really really fun to read. But regardless of that, I, I think that you know this whole system is just really you know born out of the necessity where there are uh, many like you know almost fifty exchanges uh, in the U.S. stock market. I think this is the reason why. And it's it's pretty unique uh, compared to at least the stock market that I know about, which is like you know U.S. stock market, uh, sorry, like Jap- Japanese stock market or uh, other major stock market. They don't have like you know fifty exchanges. There's like you know one major exchanges takes almost like everything. Like you know for Japan, like it's like ninety four ninety five percent of the uh, uh, trades happen at the Tokyo Stock Exchange, and there's a you know, uh, the, uh, those alternative exchange traded venue, but that happens only like five, 6%. So that, that's pretty typical. So in that sense, uh, that each exchange is, well, in Japan, there's only one exchange, but each exchange don't have to compete each other. And in the U S there's a competition there. So in order for the exchanges to win that competition, they have to come up with some kind of, uh, uh incentives and rebate system. And that really create this, uh, you know, maker fee, taker fee where you post the liquidity then you know you get paid and you take out the liquidity you are charged and, and you know th- that's not like just only black and white that system there are many different types of the order types uh uh you get charged or you get you know paid by the uh end exchanges and that calculation and uh, uh all the equations you know market makers are the ones who understand all in and out and know how of the each of the details of the uh, calculation of getting paid or you are charged and basically, like, you know, that created this whole payment for order flow system because there's already this competition that created this money incentivized system at the end exchanges level that are just flowing through the market makers, flowing through to the broker dealers uh, that are named as a payment for order flow. So that's really like how it's been structured and the context uh, uh, behind that scene. Got it. So in your, in your view, zero commissions is, is relatively new. Seems like it com- comes out of this business model that's been enabled by the payment for order flow. The, so with the, like, there's a general impression that payment for order flow kind of rips off the consumer because, because high frequency traders can front run a trade, but at the same time, it's brought zero commissions. So do you, do you, like, how do you balance those things? Do you think it's been net good, net bad, like what, for, for the consumer specifically? Yeah, so firstly, front running is illegal. Uh, so nobody does that. So that itself is a conspiracy theory, in my opinion. Uh, so, you know, market makers don't front run people. That if, you, if they do that, they get arrested. So that's one thing. And uh, in terms of the payment for order flow, good or bad, uh, that has been there uh, since that was born. I think it's like 15 years ago or so. Uh, even commission-free business was new. That got popularized by Robinhood. Uh, all the broker, like in other broker dealers, I wouldn't say all, but like most broker dealers, online broker dealers that has been there even before Robinhood, they they were receiving and they still do receive payment for order flow in addition to charging commissions to the end customers. Mm-hmm. So it's not like it turned from the commission model without payment for order flow to commission less to the payment for order flow. It was actually uh, the broker dealers receiving both sides and they just robin hoods stopped one side of the payments that that's what it, it only happened so it's not like you know it became good or bad it, it was what it was got it very- well yoshi you, you taught me something new today 
reading things online, you would definitely think that the front running was like an accepted part of the business and, and <laughs> everyone knew it was happening. So I appreciate that clarification. Good to know. So I like to wrap up the podcast, you know, asking you, and we talked a little bit about um, kind of using the blockchain for, for money movement, but you know, you can take it either alpaca specifically or, or the industry you're in, give some thoughts on what's coming down in the future, looking out as, as, as far as you like, like what are things that you're excited about, you know, whether they're changes that are going to happen in the next couple of years um, or, or a few years out. I think definitely the, uh, the cross border is something that we always think about. It is really coming from this uh, after COVID, you know, spread out. It really changed the world, uh, not only the business sense, but also the just simply human life uh, in simple, simple way. Because now, like, you know, people don't go to the office and a lot of people were tied up uh, to that certain location because of the work, which allows uh, more of the like work from anywhere that work from anywhere actually connects to live from anywhere, which means that like, you know, people will be moving around more with the, you know, vestings and everything and more caution, but like, you know, they have now freedom and we all have a freedom to live somewhere that you, you, you couldn't live or, uh, uh, you know, you don't have to be stuck at somewhere that you had to be stuck with. So, which means that, uh, you know, you can go and move uh, cross border and do the lives in a different way. Like, you know, you're US and you may be living in England, you may be living in a different countries. And when the people change the countries, it does like, you know, the work can follow you, but the, the money system doesn't really follow you. You have a different currencies, you have a different tax system, you have a, you know, different bank accounts that work in the, you know, certain countries only. Uh, and, the, you know, investment accounts uh, anywhere uh, at all. Like, for example, being in Japan doesn't really allow you to have the, you know, Robinhood account. So, those things, I think, like next three to five years and even 10 years continue to be the uh, focus of uh, how, in my opinion, fintech uh, have to solve many questions. And there are many opportunities in terms of the people who's uh, coming with the, like live from anywhere uh, in the cross-border everything. So cross-border payments is the one thing, of course, that you do. But like, you know, cross-border investing, cross-border uh, uh, salary payments. So like, you know, those things will be the uh, center of, in my opinion, like, you know, innovation to be happened uh, for next, uh, you know, three to five years. So that's why I also am saying that, like, you know, Alpaca has been really uh, keen to focus on outside of the U.S. opportunities in addition to the uh, United States opportunities, in addition to myself um, being from the uh, Japan. Yeah. And, and I don't know if we mentioned it at the beginning of the call, but you're located in Japan right now, working California hours. So just uh, an example right there of, of how folks are going to travel around and, and take the opportunity of you can do a zoom call from everywhere. So, um, yeah, I, I really appreciate the time today, Yoshi. Um, thanks for, for telling us more about Alpaca and, and talking a little bit about the market dynamics in, in, in the stock world. Um, how can folks, uh, get in touch with you, find Alpaca, find, find you online. Uh, so like, you no, know, our, uh, domain is uh, alpaca.markets and that uh, we're uh, pretty active on the Twitter Al- Alpaca HQ. Uh, I'm on the Twitter as well. Uh, and, uh, yeah, please do hit me up with, uh, uh, you know, Twitter, uh, and, uh, hit us up on the Twitter as well. Yeah. We're always there. Uh, and, but like, you know, Brady, thank you very much for, uh, inviting me on the show. Uh, it's been super fun talking about the, what we are excited about. Yeah, absolutely. Good talking to you, Yoshi. And, and maybe you can, uh, I guess eat, eat breakfast now that it's 4am over there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll do that then. <laughs> All right. Talk to you later, Yoshi. 
Currency Cloud is an online payments company that makes international money transfers fast and simple for businesses. We're building a borderless future where international transactions are seamless for a better user experience. Discover the world's most trusted payment platform and our toolkit of developer-friendly APIs at currencycloud.com. You've been listening to the Payments Innovation Podcast. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe now in iTunes or your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening. Until next time.